0: everybody to Strong Thoughts the Anti-Influencer Podcast. My name is Ben Skutnik. I am your host and I thank you for joining us once again. Today we are going to go off schedule a little bit but before that I wanted to recap the previous episode because I wanted to remind you and I guess kind of remind myself as well the purpose of this podcast and the purpose of that is to help build a skill set for individuals to be able to filter out the noise provided by the influencers to detect the true message. And we do that through building a filter of skepticism. Last episode, we applied that skepticism, and I wanted to reinforce that this podcast isn't necessarily about attacking or targeting any one influencer, but if we are going to have applied scenarios where we exercise these skills we'll have to find them somewhere and so in the last episode we used James Nestor's uh, forward in the oxygen advantage to highlight some of the tactics used by influencers to help muddy the true message but again this wasn't an attack on him per se it was just kind of the I chose an example because it's something that I have a little bit more expertise in. So, moving on. Today, like I said, we're going off schedule a little bit. To give you a peek behind the curtain, I had canned quite a few episodes. And that's because, well, frankly, uh, you never know what the schedule is going to look like when you start a podcast and so you want to be consistent. So before I launched the podcast, I had a few episodes pre-recorded. But we're going off schedule because recently I came across an article that was fitting uh, to put in right now. And I wanted to discuss that article and make it available to you guys because it goes right in line with kind of some of the concepts we're discussing right now. The appeal uh, from authority and things of those sorts. And so... With that in mind, if you need a recap on what we mean by the appeal to authority, go back and check episode three, Uh, and if you need a greater recap of just everything we're trying to accomplish, check out episode two, where we talk about bias, noise, and signal. But today, we're going to talk about an article that was published in the most recent issue of the Journal of Experimental social psychology, which I'll say right up front, is not my field, so I'm by no means an uh, expert in this, but through some critical thinking and just understanding, we can identify the meat of this article. Right, And it's kind of ironic, because what this article is titled is Misplaced Trust, When Trust in Science Fosters Belief in Pseudoscience and the Benefits of Critical Evaluation. So in short, what they're saying is just because something is, quote, scientific, that doesn't necessarily mean you should outright trust it. So I understand the irony. It's not lost on me. But I think this is a valuable article. I'll throw it down in the show notes for you to check out. It can be a little dense, but give it a few read-throughs and I think it will make sense. But let's walk through it a little bit. So what they are uh, addressing here, the three authors, is the current situation. And the current situation could be anything in current, right? It could be the global pandemic. It could be climate change. It could be any one of those uh, worldly issues that are being debated where science is being brought up as the tool for both sides, Both sides of the argument will claim that the science says one thing, and so what this article is saying is, how do we get to, or I guess what this article is asking and then answering is, how do we get to the root message? Kind of the same purpose as this podcast. And so how did they test this? Well, they ran three experiments, uh, and the experiments, again, were kind of just to test the individual's trust in science, but also test the individual's uh, scientific or methodological literacy. And what that is asking is, does the individual actually understand what is going on in these experiments? Because if you don't understand what is being tested, then you don't really understand the results. And so it can be easily misinterpreted, or more applicable to what we are looking at, it can be easily disseminated by a seemingly, uh, seeming expert or what we would call an authority or an influencer. And because they look the part and they act the part, you will assume that they know what they're talking about. So this is a really interesting article. Again, I'm going to throw it in the show notes. I think everybody should... Give it a couple read-throughs, try and get an understanding of what it's really saying, because it will help arm you with an understanding of how to build your own critical thought, your own skeptical filter. So, back to the article. Three experiments, and each experiment started by splitting a larger group, a few hundred individuals, I think like 600 or so, uh, into two different conditions. One dealing with scientific information, when dealing with non-scientific information. And they tested, by asking individuals questions, they tested their belief, they tested their feelings towards the dissemination, they tested their trust of science, and they tested their methodological literacy. And so, for the belief and the trust of science, they simply had them read information, and then they used a Likert scale, which is just a one-to-five Uh, where they rated either strongly agree, strongly disagree, or somewhere in the middle. They did that for both the belief and the trust in science. So in the belief, did they believe what they read? And then for the trust in science, did they trust the science behind it? So seemingly similar questions, but more tangential instead of just overlapping. For dissemination, the questions were posed... Should the scientists email this out to a group of students that they are teaching a class for? Now, that's kind of what we see in the influencer space. They're not necessarily teaching a class, but they have a following. They have a following that listens to what they say, and so it's asking a similar question. And then methodological, excuse me, come on, methodological, third time's a charm, literacy, Those questions were testing the individual's understanding of the scientific method. And so what is the scientific method? Well, that is a method of answering a question. And in the current world, it tends to be the most rigorous. And we set up the scientific method by first staking a claim, and that would be our hypothesis, and then we make that claim a question and then through controlled testing, we analyze that specific variable that we are looking at. Right. So we remove external factors, or as many as external factors as we can, and we control the testing in a routine manner, repeatable manner, and valid manner. So repeatable just means that if I run this test and then you run the exact same test, the method should be able to be th- the same, and valid, that gets at the concept that the test is actually doing what it's saying it's doing. So, for instance, to put it in kind of a more applied uh, context, testing one rep max back squat is a valid test for lower body strength. I think we can agree on that. Now, testing one rep max back squat as an assessment of vertical jump height, that might seem to have a correlation if you have a lower body uh, strength level that is high you you probably could jump well but that's not a valid test to measure vertical jump the valid test for measuring vertical jump is to measure a vertical jump right because there are other uh, other factors involved coordination uh, there's a difference between strength and power body weight comes into play, right? The big power lifters who can squat 800 pounds, they also weigh 300 pounds. So they might not have as high of power output as your 150 pound person who can squat 600 pounds, right? So we understand uh, that that's what we're getting at with uh, validity, is the question of valid question or the test of valid test. And so what did they find? Well, they ran those three experiments and essentially, what they found is that uh, what we call a heuristic uh, form of heuristic processing. And what heuristic processing is, is essentially how people learn something. And it seems that individuals tend to trust science and they rely on the seeming experts to digest it for them. And so this gets at what I think is a pretty interesting topic currently, because currently we hear a lot about science deniers and um, folks who don't believe in the science. And in reality, it seems like with this uh, article, and there are a few other articles that have looked at this as well, it's not so much that people deny science, it's that they deny science that they don't agree with. And that's a nuance that we need to understand if we're going to understand the influencer uh, effect and, and how that all works, right? Rarely will you find an individual who claims to believe pseudoscience, knowingly believe pseudoscience. That would be somebody admitting that they believe something that they know is wrong, right? And that just logically doesn't make sense, right? Individuals Will tend to believe things that they think are right so the question isn't does somebody believe in science or not it shouldn't be now that being said there are individuals who put say more emphasis on maybe uh, religious authority than a scientific authority but that to me that's not really an issue right because that individual is simply stating i just don't believe in science right or i don't hold science as the highest authority whether that's pseudoscience, whether it's accurate science, uh, inaccurate science, whatever, they are just saying, I don't necessarily believe in science. And that's a valid stance. There's no clarification needed there. They tell you where they lie. Now, individuals who trust science, but maybe trust poor science, or don't actually have the capability to decipher the science, so they rely on other individuals, that becomes more of an issue. And really, I believe that that probably encompasses more individuals as well. And so, what we're finding, or what this paper has found, these authors have found, is that the way individuals educate themselves relies heavily on what they call the expertise cue. And that's kind of what we talked about in the last episode, the appeal to authority where the seeming expert tells them, hey, this is what happened. And it looks like, based off this paper, the more complex the topic, the more individuals will fall into that. And so, again, it, what this paper is saying is that most individuals do trust science, but what that actually looks like in real world practice is they trust the scientist. And so, I'm saying this as a scientist myself. Do I believe, in general, that scientists have? the uh, best intentions yes i do think i think that's true i think most of us will agree with that however we do have to understand that science itself that scientific method is just a method of gaining understanding and understanding is simply a perspective And we like to think that the scientific method is a very rigorous means to gain that perspective, but it is nonetheless a perspective based off of observations. Those observations are the results of a study. And so a single study will portray a certain perspective, and if that study is in fact repeatable, which is a qualifier of the scientific method, then that perspective is strengthened. And if it's repeated enough times, that perspective becomes so strong that it becomes an understanded belief. You know, we can look at gravity, for instance. We have seen that act on enough studies to believe that it probably is real, but at any one time, a paradigm shift can occur, and it might change how we really perceive gravity, you know, this is the difference between Newtonian physics and, we'll say, like Einstein's physics, right? When we started to question relativity and the fourth dimension of time, right? So, where am I getting? Well, when we apply that back to the influencer space, okay? we hear about these charlatans and these quacks. The issue becomes not necessarily a trust in science, but an understanding and a a high degree of methodological literacy. Oftentimes, you'll hear these influencers use what we would call jargon. And jargon is just terminology of the field. And they do that primarily for two reasons. One, they want to demonstrate their knowledge or their seeming knowledge to the layperson right, to Joe Schmo who doesn't know what they're talking about, doesn't have an understanding of the field. If somebody comes in and starts using fancy 10-cent words, you know, five syllables, they can wow a certain amount of individuals by saying, oh boy, this person really knows what they're talking about because look at them just ramble off these words. So there's that component of it, but there's also a component of Many of these influencers will talk about things that aren't truly testable, and that's my bigger concern. And It's also the easiest, I think, to quench for the individual. Whether you know about a certain topic or not, the first question should always be, how could you test that? if somebody says a claim, right? We discussed in the last episode, extraordinary claims have a burden of proof. You must provide the data. Well, the first step would say, how could you test that? And if you can't really test it or you can't test it uh, without external factors so we can't control the single dependent variable we're looking for, then it probably isn't an accurate claim. But even then, when the influencer provides the quote-unquote data. What this article, going back to the focus of today's episode, what this article is saying is that should not be enough. You can't simply just say, oh, you provided citations to that. Well, then it must be true, because that made it through peer-reviewed literature and that whole process. What we need to do then is actually act upon... Those citations. you need to do the work yourself. Go back and look at the methods, right? Because very often what occurs, and we see this in you know news outlets picking up certain studies uh, or again, the influencer space, we see it all over the place, people will simply read the results and then misinterpret what they're really saying. A case in point here would be, you know, 10, maybe 15 years ago, there was a big push to say, hey, you should drink one or two glasses of red wine every night. Well, no paper is telling you, no study is telling you that you should. That's not a test that can be run, right? Because what factors would dictate that? If you are low on certain nutrients, should you drink red wine? Well, now we're looking at uh, the most effective means. Maybe red wine does contain certain nutrients or micronutrients, but certainly not anything that can't be found somewhere else. But what's cool? What will people enjoy? What will get traffic driven to the news outlets? What will get likes by uh, the followers of the influencers? Making a result sound cool. And so you take some artistic liberties, right? They kind of process in their own head what they think it means and and spit it out to you. And so again, I don't think it's out of a place of malice, but I think it's a it's a misinformed method of dissemination. And so we need to build our methodological literacy. And how does that start? That starts by going back to the literature. And then the last point on that, and this can come off sounding a little bit harsh, but I don't mean for it to be. It's just kind of the the truth. A lot of these articles are behind a paywall. Now, there are methods to gaining access. For instance, podcasts like this that will drop them in the show notes. Hopefully, the, the journals don't come after me for that. But there's a certain reality that you have to face. And that reality is if you don't have access to the articles, then you might not have enough ground to stand on to form a valid opinion. You can form your own opinions. Everybody is entitled to their opinions. However, when it comes to enforcing opinions on larger groups, if you don't have access to all of the data and the requisite methodological literacy, then maybe you shouldn't be in charge of doing that. And we can see instances all over right now uh, where the science gets picked up by a non-scientific body and the message gets turned into something else. So, build your methodological literacy and that starts with building your skeptic filter. Like I said, I'll throw this in the show notes so you can check it out yourself. And please, if you have any questions, email me at strongthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Ben benskutnik, that's B-E-N-S-K-U-T-N-I-K. And after this episode, we'll get back to the regular schedule where we are going to discuss the problem with skepticism, or at least the problem that many people run into when trying to practice skepticism. So I hope you enjoyed this email me if you have any questions dm me on instagram if you have any questions or comments or ideas about things that you would like discussed or you would like me to maybe think about and bring forth in episodes and until next week keep thinking